Okay, everyone, if you got your snacks, I should have mentioned that as well. There are some refreshments back there. But, uh, yeah, you can get up and go get them as well if you need to. There was a point in church history where Mass was so long that they could actually eat snacks during, you know, the readings, apparently. But, yeah. <laughs> go ahead. Yes, okay, the word that shall not be said. It starts with an A. I mean, we can say it here, guys. I mean, I know. I just feel weird saying it. Oh, alleluia. So, so again, it's not, it's not that it'd be bad to say. It's one of those things, kind of little T tradition. It's, it's from the Psalms. That word is from the Psalms. It means praise the Lord. And the Psalms that it's like featured most in are the Passover Psalms. The psalms that are that are sung at every Passover. So for us, Easter is the Passover of the Lord. Actually, when you go to other countries, they don't call it Easter; they call it Pasqua, which is literally the it's the same word that the Jews use for Passover. We should actually be calling it Passover, but that sounds weird to say for us, right? But in other languages, that's what they call it. They call it Passover. So the point that the church is kind of making is we're we're not going to pray these psalms until we pray them with Jesus. In his Passover at Easter. Easter is the Passover of the Lord. So it's kind of one of those small tea traditions that we just do to sort of engage us, engage our sense of journeying towards Easter and the Passover of the Lord. Yeah. Usually it's just Lent, the season of Lent. Yep. Because Lent is specifically the season of waiting for Passover. You know, sort of acting like Passover hasn't happened yet. There's there's a sort of another, we're actually about to hit it, I think, Passion Tide. I think it's this Sunday. And it's called Passion Tide. It's the two weeks before Easter when traditionally the church would cover up all the statues, any sign of the resurrection or the cross, sort of almost like, again, entering this space of like, the Passover hasn't happened yet. We're still waiting for for Jesus to come. You know, in the sense, we are waiting for Jesus to come again. And in a personal sense, some of us might also be waiting for Jesus to break into our own lives as well. So it kind of goes with the Catholic imagination that there's always a past, present, and future to everything. You know, Jesus, yes, he did this in the past, but he represents it to us now in the present. So we have been saved. Yes, we are being saved now in the present. Even now, we enter into the story of salvation and then the future, you know, we will be saved. You know, we still work out our salvation with fear and trembling. There's this, we're looking forward to the future. So the liturgy of the church always tries to capture these three things in, in once. In the, the past, the present, and the future. Yeah, Curie yeah, is in Greek, though. Uh, uh, but, but it's like, that's a personal preference of our, it, it's, it's both personal and universal. In the sense that the Pope wants everyone around the world to know the, the Greek and Latin parts of a Mass. So that wherever you go, you know, you have some of the structure of the Mass with you, you know, and you can understand kind of the universal, you know, Catholic means universal worldwide. And these languages of Greek and Latin and Hebrew, those three languages that we find, Amen. Hallelujah, those are Hebrew, you know, Kyrie, Lay song, that's Greek, you know, Sanctus, 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 that's Latin. Those are the languages of the Bible, biblical times. Those are the three languages on the on the sign of the cross, on the Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, you know. So 
kind of connects us to the universal church in, in a way. So it's kind of a personal choice of martyrs. We usually do it Advent and Lent. But, you know, the, the church universal has expressed the desire that everyone at least knows the simple Latin parts, simple Greek parts, parts, again, to connect to the church throughout all time and space, no matter what language we happen to speak at the time. This language, English is a language that's degrading faster and faster with the advent of TikTok. So who knows how long it will be a language, right? Uh, <laughs> We got it. We got to stick to our guns a little bit. Okay, entering the liturgy of the Eucharist. Then uh, the the great kind of in two halves mass the liturgy of the Word, liturgy of the Eucharist. Liturgy there. I, I should I should make a mention of that word before we go too much farther. Uh, it literally means work of or for the people. So. Energy, you can kind of see the same ending as energy. Energy also means work. And then lit or lay, you know, you guys would be called lay, the lay faithful, and I would be clergy. So it's the work for the people. Uh, there's a sense in which liturgy is something we do, yes, as we come together at Mass, but there's a greater sense in which liturgy is something God does. You know, Christ is the great liturgist. He does this great work. It's the work of the cross. Okay, that is then applied to the people. It's a word. It was also used in ancient times to actually describe like public works, like aqueducts, bridges, roads. But what that means for us, right? It's this building up of the city of God. It's this something that you know no one person could have built. You know, it took like a noble and all of his caves, right? To build this thing which benefits the people. So God has established his work, his economy of salvation, this great work that's done in Christ that kind of gives us the infrastructure, this, this way to heaven, builds this way to heaven. So that's really what liturgy means. So we enter the liturgy of the Eucharist. We prepare the gifts. So first thing they do, this is called a burst because it's a purse, and that's the same word as purse, burst. Just a slightly different pronunciation of it. Different letter. I lay down a corporal, which means body, because the body of Christ is going to be placed on this. There's a sense in which um, also, you know, you think about it, Shroud of Turin, you know, you can find pictures of it. It's, it's the burial cloth that wrapped around Jesus' entire body. It's roughly the shape of this. And then there's, you know, kind of other cloths that were buried with Jesus. There's actually three claws, I think. Uh, one of them was sort of long and long, like this, that like wraps around the head. There's one that's shaped like this that goes over the head, and then there's a body one. So really, we have all the burial claws of Christ here with us. Um, you can think about that. This this is the the tomb as well, the place where Jesus' body lay, but no longer is he dead, he is risen, right? Uh, there's the veil, okay? And of course, veils are always put over something precious, okay? Brides have veils. Um, veils are sort of also put over presents, right? Veils are sort of the wrapping paper, wrap up gifts. This is something very precious. Also, they 
you know, hide something. You know, these are mysteries. The sacraments, another word that the early church used was mystery. It's something we don't fully understand. We see in part, but there's so much more to it. So all of that is why we kind of cover things in veils. Kind of remind us that even though we see, you know, we don't see everything. So purificator, that'll be used to ensure not a single drop of the precious blood goes astray. This is a Paul. It's the same thing. It's the same name for the cloth that you put over your casket when you die. Paul. And so this is put over the body of Christ sort of in his burial. And it gets removed at several times. You can kind of notice different things happening with this that sort of represents Jesus clothed, you know, in the incarnation by Mary, wrapped in swaddling clothes. Stripped of his garments on the cross, buried in the tomb, rises from the dead. It, it, like this thing, like tells a whole story when the, when the priest takes this on and off. Um, so I said everything on the altar. The corporal also establishes for myself what am I consecrating? Because the priest has to intend consecrate this to take this up into the body of Christ. I do have a piece of bread. It is just bread, and I do have wine here. Uh, and one cool thing about both of these rites elements that were chosen, you know, from all the other things God could have chosen to give us, he gave us these two, bread and wine, to build up his kingdom. Historically, bread is the food of civilization. And we figured out how to farm, you know, 10,000 BC in Iraq, Mesopotamia. Uh, civilization boomed from that moment on. You know, it made this little, you know, piece that could be preserved longer than other foods like meat which brought away right away be carried around it is also made up of many that have become one right they have become one through being crushed though through the cross that's how they became one same with wine wine is also sort of the drink of civilization uh you know water wasn't always that good but wine could be much more trusted and as well, part of civilization isn't just surviving. You know, plenty of people have survived throughout history. Civilization is about thriving. And wine is very much the drink of a people that are thriving, that have something to celebrate, something to work towards. And so both of these together, you know, wine, the many grapes that are crushed, okay, there's the cross, and then sort of transformed, right? They take on a new spirit. Bread, which is crushed, okay, takes on a new spirit, the, the, the leaven, even though this is unleavened bread, as the Passover, you know, demands. Um, both of these symbols of the church and symbols of all of you, really. That's why we usually have someone bring the gifts forward because they start with you. It all starts with you. And you bring your own gifts. You put yourself into these gifts. And they're brought forward and placed upon the altar, offered on the altar. So the priest puts you on the altar. There's actually a wonderful thing in the East, the Eastern liturgy, uh, I don't want to get into the whole differences, but there's one cool thing they do at the beginning of Mass. The priest takes little pieces of the bread that will become the body of Christ, and he lays them on the paten, and he, he sort of has this prayer. You know, the middle one is Jesus, of course, and he does Mary, and then he does, like, all the angels, and then he does, you know, the saints and martyrs, and then he does the living and the dead, and he, like, these are literal pieces of all the parts of the body of Christ going into, you know, this mass. 
Uh, one cool prayer I like, you can see it on there. Um, when we, you know, bless the bread, this prayer is taken right out of the Passover liturgy. <laughs> when, you know, Jesus said he blessed the, the bread, he blessed the cup, said the blessing. You know, these are the words that, you know, almost word for word are taken out of the Passover. Blessed are you, God of all creation. You know, it's, again, that connection, right? He took bread, he blessed, broke it, gave it to his disciples. When we take the wine, again, just like Justin Martyr said, it's wine, a little bit of water, okay? And there's a beautiful little prayer that the priest says. You know, it's right after that first, blessed be God forever. It says, by the mystery of this water and wine, may we come to share in the divinity of Christ, the wine representing divinity, this fullness, this richness, this life, who humbled himself to share in our humanity. So just a little, one little drop of water, water, you know, simple, you know, small, you know, almost lost in the divinity of Christ, but both are presents, you know, both God, fully God and fully man. And what happens with him by nature, you know, this coming together of divinity and humanity here is what we hope for as well, that we would also be taken into the divine. So with that, we have a, a little conversation. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Well, one of the main reasons is practical. Um, it is happens a lot of offering the cup to every single thousand people. Spillages and waste. How much wine can you consecrate? You know, there's been certain scenarios. But really, I, I'd actually point to a moment we're going to have later when the priest, you know, he consecrates the body and blood separate, right? This is my body. This is my blood. And what happens when your body and blood are separate? You're dead. Dead. But then there's a moment when the priest takes the host, he breaks it, and he puts it back into the chalice, saying this, this prayer, which kind of puts us at the resurrection. We don't receive the dead body of Jesus. We receive the resurrected body of Jesus. His body and blood are united, which in the church's mind, and again, the church teaches us, when you receive any part of the Eucharist, okay, you could have a little piece, a tiniest fraction, tiniest crumb. There was a mass I went to that they ran out and they had to give crumbs of the Eucharist, right? That's the full body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. There are people who cannot even touch, you know, gluten or they will break out in hives. Okay, they receive from the chalice and they receive that and it's the full body, blood, soul, and divinity. So we can actually give the chalice a lot more than we do, but honestly, the reason, one of the reasons we don't is just this, this attitude that, again, we receive a, just a piece of the Eucharist. We receive the full body, blood, soul, and divinity. The resurrection body of Jesus. There is a day, Holy Thursday, when we actually sort of demand everyone receive from both species. Just to, again, you know, kind of unite us to the, the fuller sign. But just because the sign you don't receive from both species doesn't mean you're not receiving the full Jesus. That would be our response. Yeah. And the response of the church, the church says, you do not have to receive both species to receive the full body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. It's the resurrected body of Jesus. The body and blood are united again. <laughs> so whether you can only receive from the chalice or only receive from the, from the hosts, it's, he's there. 
He is there. So um, we pray. May the Lord accept the sacrifice at your hands for the praise and glory of his name for our good and good of all his holy church. After I have said, may the Lord, may the sacri- my sacrifice and yours. So the priest is offering a sacrifice, sacrifice of Christ that he gave us. And all of you are offering the sacrifice of yourself as well. You've just put yourself on the altar. Uh, and so here you are offering your sacrifice as well. Put your own gift on the altar. Put your own self here. And then we answer the Eucharistic prayer. And this is going to get really confusing because apparently I didn't print off the uh, last page. So, um, you know, turn to that blank space. And uh, there are eight parts to the Eucharistic prayer that I wanted uh, to just help you lead you through that long prayer. Because it is long, right? And again, it goes back to the Jesus's high priestly prayer on the Last Supper. It goes back to Solomon and his dedication of the temple, right? Jesus's new temple is his body. And so that's about to be presented to us here. So it all starts with... The Lord be with you and with your spirits, or rather, <clears throat> the Lord be with you and with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. Yeah, exactly. Yes, good job. Yes. <laughs> um, it, it's an ancient tune, and Mozart. Mozart was a Catholic composer, and uh, mu- my music director said that uh, he had this letter in which he wrote to someone that he he would have given up. Everything he had ever written in order to be able to claim to write that preface dialogue. That's how beautiful Mozart thought those those words were. Now, maybe it's not sung in a way that he would think is very beautiful always. But uh, just something we should treasure like that. That tune has been treasured throughout. That goes like that goes back like all the way. We could we would recognize that tune if we were there in the beginning. So. Mozart, yeah, it's great. So number one, Thanksgiving. Eucharist means give thanks. Whenever you see give thanks in the New Testament, you can be sure that the very wordage in Greek is thanks is Eucharistia, give thanks. Which is why that prayer that the priest starts, it's always, it is truly right and just, our duty and our salvation, always and everywhere, to give thanks. You will always see that line. It always begins with Thanksgiving. And he'll mention, you know, what are we giving thanks for? So if we're in Christmas, it'll be for the incarnation. If we're in Easter, it'll be for that promise of eternal life. We give thanks. And then the priest sort of makes his way after saying how thankful we are in this moment to number two, acclamation. (laughs) If you're following, if you're writing along. Acclamation. This is where we pray the holy, 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 you know, which is from Isaiah 6, I think. The, The song of the angels that the prophet sees in heaven always day and night worshiping God, holy, holy, holy. You know, in Hebrew, there is no good, better, best. You only say good, good. You say good, 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 or good, good, good. If something is the best, you say it's good, good, good. It's better than something else, you say it's good, good. So when the angels say holy, 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 it's the holiest God. Also this sort of idea of the three in one, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit in one God, uh, the best. And it's, so it's the prayer of the angels. We, we do believe heaven and earth are present here in the Mass. The Mass gives us a foretaste of heaven. And the saints and angels are with us. That's why we can commemorate the saints at Mass. We can have special Masses in their honor because we believe that they are a part of the body of Christ the same as we. And when we celebrate them, we don't, just, we don't celebrate them. We celebrate what God has done in their life. And we hope that we also be transformed likewise uh, as they were. 
uh, that acclamation always also has, you know, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You know, I love that because it's it's the entrance into Jerusalem. We're, we're climbing the mountain of the Lord. We're entering into Jerusalem with him to celebrate the Lord's Passover. So after the acclamation, uh, then it's the epiclesis. Uh, there's your $5 word. Epiclesis meaning, you know, sort of the calling upon, the calling forth, especially of the Holy Spirit. This is when the priest will, well, he will strip, you know, the Lord of the garments, you know, he opens himself up completely to the will of God, and he calls down the Holy Spirit. This was always a gesture, laying on of hands, of choosing something, especially something for sacrifice. You know, the lambs in the temple were chosen with this gesture. You know, Jesus and his apostles, uh, the apostles laid hands on their successors, sent them out. You know, this choosing, these gifts, all of you, again, are represented in these gifts. You have all been chosen as well to be that sacrificial offering as well for the whole world, you know, united in Christ's sacrifice. So the calling down of the Holy Spirit. And then we get into the consecration. So that, those are the moments when, you know, the priest, you know, says the very words of Jesus, holds up, you know, the body and the blood. And as soon as that is completed, it is the Eucharist here. That's why we ring the bells. That's why the priest will genuflect. You know, we only genuflect in worship to God. So you're genuflecting to something that is God. So at that moment, right? How can the priest say that again? It's all about authority. Jesus who said, he who receives you receives me, you know? And so when we say those words, the priests that are configured to Christ in that special way, we have that promise behind it that we really receive him in a real way. Uh, so again, we, we sort of already mentioned we have the body and blood. They are consecrated separately because it's the death of Christ. It's the crucifixion. And so we lay this back on. It's, you know, he's laid in the tomb. Uh, and then we sort of go through three more little, little prayers that we offer. What, number one is called the anamnesis. Again, big words, but all it means is memorial, memory. Um, again, you'll, you might hear the language of, we remember your passion and death. We profess your resurrection. So it's all about looking again in the past, where this new identity was one for us. And after the memorial, we have what's called the offering. So the priest speaks about, you know, taking these gifts and sending them up to heaven. This is our offering to you. Jesus gives us the perfect offering of his own body. No other offering of the Old Testament can cover our sins. Nothing else we can do of our own works would ever be able to be worthy to be offered to God. This is the perfect offering. Jesus himself gives us that perfect offering. So it's this present reality, a okay? past, present, and then future, because the last part is intercession. We pray again for the church throughout the world. It's the same as, you know, those universal prayers, Jesus at the Last Supper, praying for all sorts of people. We pray for starting with the church throughout the world, the Pope, the bishops, the priests, the lay, the lay people, people that haven't even come into the church. We pray for them. We pray for those who have died. And those, we also, at every Eucharist, there's sort of language of praying for people that have died, you know, maybe not visibly a part of the church. So kind of a beautiful statement of, you know, God, send down your grace upon all of us. Have mercy on all of us. You know, we stand as the salt of the earth. You know, not everyone in the earth is salt. Not everyone has received that word of God, but we offer this for them as well. Until at last we make that great amen. Okay. 
want to finish? <laughs> we got, yeah, three minutes. We want to try to get to the end of Mass. You know, the communion rites, the rite of receiving communion then, is full of resurrection words. Okay, first of all, we, we first start by standing and praying the Our Father. Now, that standing is a remarkable thing in that moment, because before we were kneeling in humility and supplication, right? But now we've been made worthy to stand in the presence of God as his sons and daughters and make that prayer the Our Father. And that Our Father is a mealtime prayer, right? Give us this day our daily bread. Okay, the church always saw since the beginning that connection between the daily bread of the Eucharist, because the actual language of the Our Father is this superabundant bread, this bread that was given every day, like the manna in the desert was given each and every day to Israel. Okay, so God will give us a bread to sustain us through the entire journey through the desert. It's this Eucharist, this true bread, this true manna that came from heaven. So praying that our Father, we then talk about it leads us to peace. Okay, communion and peace go hand in hand, right? We have communion with the Father. We have peace with God. That's what Jesus came to bring us, peace. Right? He is the new Solomon. Solomon's name means peace. Solomon was son of David. In Jesus, we have the new son of David, the new high priest, the new builder of the temple of God. Right, And so, peace be with you. That's the very first words he says to his disciples at his resurrection. And that's the very first words you hear now that Jesus is here, uh, present on the altar. It's this new resurrection experience. So that's when we turn to one another and give that sign of peace. And like I mentioned, again, one of the ways we encounter Christ in the Mass is in one another, in the community present. Why it hurts, you know, the community uh, when we're not fully engaged, when we're not heading in the right direction, and why others can help us, though. You know, when we see, the, I always tell the service this, you know, let them, you know, stay focused. <laughs> you know, please, you know, even when in doubt, look about, you know, just... Because people see you, and when they see you, and they see just how you're all in, you know, it kind of point draws them back in, you know, if they're starting to get distracted. So again, again, it's not about the exterior, it's all about the interior, but sometimes that exterior worship, you know, leads us in that right direction. So we offer that peace, and like Jesus said, before you go to the altar of sacrifice, make peace with your brother. So again, that's kind of where that comes from again. We heard in Justin Mark about that kiss of peace, you know, we... We have our own, you know, cultural norms here. So don't don't you all go kissing each other, right? Um, we go by the cultural norms. But then just a beautiful thing, right? The body of Christ. Uh, you know, the priest holding up, you know, dropping a piece of the body of Christ into the chalice. This union again, this resurrection, you know, the reunification of the body and blood. It's the risen body of Christ that we receive. And holding it up, you know, behold, the Lamb of God, as John, you know, told his first disciples, behold. So this moment is offered to you as well. It takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. We have this foretaste of the same Eucharist in heaven. You know, um, I'll kind of end with this story of when I first left the country, going on a mission trip to Peru, you know, kind of nervous. And mom was definitely nervous of me going so far away. So uh, we talked about how I'm going to be going to Mass every day. She's like, okay, I'll go to Mass every day. And there was a beautiful connection there because it's the same Mass, you know, all the way over in Peru as in here. Same Mass, you know, different language, you know, a little Latin mixed in there. So we had that in common, right? Uh, and we were together there. Heaven and earth are together and we're together. You know, I tell this to people that have had loved ones died. You know, this is the closest we can be to them on earth when we are together with them you know, at the supper of the Lord. They are there. 
you know, with our hope that we have for them. So then when you come forward, you receive the body of Christ, right? And you say, amen, again, so be it, as Justin Martyr said, or, you know, I totally entrust myself to this. I believe. You know, it's really the high point of the whole Mass when you are made a temple of the Lord, a tabernacle, you know, a place of God's dwelling. We began with the Lord be with you. That's the whole project of God. Now the Lord is with you. So you take that time to, uh, to take him in. So, um, yeah, any final, you know, you can stay as long as you want and ask more questions about the Mass, but I feel like I need to give you your blessing and send you on your way. Um, and then, yeah, I'll take any questions that you guys might have. But thanks for joining this. Hopefully, this transforms the way you come to Mass, you actually participate. There's so many other good things in there from the Catechism uh, that you could read uh, sort of as your homework. And we'll see you next week to talk about the priesthood and marriage. Um, the wedding and the the bridegroom, you know, it's gonna be great. So the Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And then the priest sends you out, right? And you pass through the narthex. Okay, is that hallway going out of church? And I'll leave you with this: you know, church architecture is meant to represent the body of Christ. Day, but we are the true church. We are the true body of Christ. The narthex, that name means neck. Neck. Because we've just come into Christ the head. Christ the head has been given to us in kind of the body of the church. We go through the neck. And then where's the body? It's out there in the world. And there it goes. Go in peace. Glorifying the Lord by your life. Go and announce the gospel of the Lord. The body of Christ is out in the world. Doing things. You know, working for the kingdom of God. So, so you guys go out and... Go get him. Yes. Whatever Christ has called you to do. Love it. Yeah. Very welcome, guys. Yeah. Any questions? Again, you're free to go, but uh, any questions, guys, for those who are saying, yeah. Yes. There. So uh, we can go to St. Paul a lot <laughs> for a lot of these, um, you know, moments of St. Paul invoke, like telling his people, you know, I remember you every time I give thanks. Okay, that's, that's, that language is found throughout the letters of St. Paul. And when you think about giving thanks, right? Eucharist, you know, to remember someone at the altar of the Lord. We think about Monica, St. Monica. She told her son, St. Augustine, who converted, right? You know, I don't care where you bury me. Just remember me at the altar of the Lord. So one thing about remembering someone, which is so important, um, you know, think about what it means for God to remember us. If... If God remembers us, if he remembers our name, you know, even though we die, we pass away, we don't exist, we're nothing. If God just re-utters our name, you know, God who said, let there be light and there was light. If he remembers you, he utters your name, you are remade. You are, you are new. That's our hope of resurrection. That's how powerful it is to remember someone's name. So when we remember someone, we're kind of leaning into that hope, right? That God remembers them, that they are still held in the care of God, they're, they're held in the palm of God's hand. So, you know, what does that do for them, right? Well, again, we can talk about purgatory, but that will lead us, you know, in that. But that does a lot for them if, you know, they have those people praying for them, sort of giving them that confidence that they are in the palm of God's hand, I guess. What, that, what does that do for them? We can talk about purgatory and how that would help someone there. But also for us, it's meant for us as well, you know, to, to fuel our own faith and hope 
for them that God God does remember them. But I think that's one of the main reasons we do it. Don't so sometimes it's also about us as well. Like we need to be reminded of the love and mercy of God for those people. And you know why do you why do you give the stipend to the priest? You know <laughs> when you have a mass offered, uh, but the amount of that stipend is typically the the amount needed to feed someone for a day. That's what it's supposed to be. So you are you are like that. I don't know if it directly goes into our food bill or not, <laughs> but like that's that's what is happening. You're you're feeding the priest. So I get fed a lot here. <laughs> We have lots of we have a full slate of masses said, yeah. Dick. Oh, why incense? Right, yeah. Incense. What is what is it? It's the sap of a tree, the blood of a tree. And so this blood of a tree is burnt as an offering. So that's one of the things. It's that language of the cross, you know, the blood of the tree that is applied to us. Um, also, it engages the sense, and sense is one of the most important senses. For memory, actually. When you think about your favorite scent, it's always attached to a very strong memory of something. Like, for me, campfires. Like, the smell of a campfire is my favorite scent in the world. And it, there's so many memories attached to that. So, it's part of the memory building process. But more liturgically, there's a beautiful thing that happens with incense as well. Where, when the priest offers the gifts, you know, he does, he does a, a one, a one, and a one over the gifts. And then he incenses everything. And then he does a two, a two, and a two. He incenses everything. And then he gives it to another guy who incenses the priest with a two, two, two. So that connects the priest to the, to the cross. And then he comes and incenses you. And I haven't convinced him of this yet, but it says in the books, you know, one, one, one. I think they're afraid of doing that because it's like, oh, but we, you know, we did you two times. We need to do them two times. No, like you are connected to the gifts, you know, like just like the gifts was one, one, one. Like you are, you are connected to the gifts. The priest is connected to Christ on the cross. And then when the they come down and do the incense, it's it's three, three, three. It's it's the two and the one together, and it makes the Eucharist, makes it all one, you know. So it's like a language of incense that you know, yeah, goes way over, way over our head, but. But it's there. There's sort of a language of incense of, you know, it's also the prayers rising up to God, right? It disappears, just like our prayers disappear, but we have that confidence that, you know, God hears and God takes it in. So all that is why we, and more, is why we do incense. It's the blood of the cross, though. Precept, precept. Blood of a tree, blood of a tree. Yeah. Yeah, in seminary, we used incense at every Sunday Mass. So be thankful, right? Yeah. It, it, but it's all about solemnity, and that's kind of another principle of Catholic liturgy. You, you have the more solemn moments when we want to take all the stops. We want we want to see the glory of God, and then you have like Lent, where we try to draw back and have everything be much more simple and quiet. So we do both ends, you know. We want we want we want both. Yeah, the frankincense tree. I think it's it's a type of the myrrh, frankincense and myrrh are a type of incense trees. Originating in Ethiopia, in the, the biblical land of Cush and Egypt. Yeah. 